Thank you for listening to this teaching from Table Church in Des Moines, Iowa. We are in a series called Seven Questions Jesus Asked. Jesus understood that sometimes he could say more with a simple question than with a thousand other words. His questions are known for their ability to pierce through our intentions and get to the heart of the matter. In this series, we are exploring seven questions that he asked people 2,000 years ago, but are just as relevant for us today. And as always, please be sure to check us out at tablechurchdsm.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for coming today once again and worshiping with us here. It's always a, it's always a privilege to be here with you. And um, earlier, Megan mentioned our kids' ministry team, uh, how we could use more volunteers on our kids' team. So, uh, yeah, I just want to reiterate that. In fact, I want to invite you into something. I'm calling it Operation help Natalie Wiseman actually attend the second service for once in her life someday, somehow. Yeah, so we're all, we're all on this team, all right? And, and we need to do this. And so what it's going to take is it's going to take some more people serving in our kids' ministry uh, so, that, so that my wife can come to church sometimes. All right, are you with me on this? So just let us know on your connection card, and uh, we will be happy to get you plugged in uh, to our kids' ministry team some, some way, somehow. Uh, whatever that looks like best for you, it, of course, if you feel prompted to do so. Now, if you have a Bible, would you please open with me to Mark chapter 8? We're looking at Mark 8, verses 22 to 26 today. If you don't have a Bible, you can just raise your hand, and uh, an usher will be happy to give you one. If you don't own a Bible, you can just keep the one that we're giving you. It's our gift to you. So Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. All right, by the way, Mark chapter eight, I think is my favorite chapter in the the gospels. Uh, Just, there's there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this chapter. I I think I could preach a whole sermon series just on Mark chapter eight. And we're actually gonna cover a lot of ground today in this chapter, and so I'm excited. Here here goes, it says, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. All right, so a few weeks ago, we're in a series called Seven Questions Jesus Asked, and we're looking at seven questions that Jesus asked. And the question that we were looking at a few weeks ago was when Jesus said to a crippled man, do you want to be made well? And we agree that that seems like a bit of a silly question, doesn't it? Well, we found out it's not quite as silly as it might seem at first, but I mean, on the surface of it, well, of course a crippled man wants to be healed, Jesus. Why would you even ask that question? And what we found was that sometimes uh, being made well isn't all it's cracked up to be because it means you got to get up, right? Getting well means getting up. Well, today's question, I wouldn't call it silly, but it's almost worse because it, it suggests that maybe Jesus made a mistake. Do you see anything? Uh, I see like, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Okay, so what went wrong, Jesus? Did you... Did you botch the miracle? I remember watching Tiger Woods back when he was still really good. Uh, Like he shanked a chip shot from off the green. And I remember just the feeling of me in a chorus of millions of dudes in their armchairs going, 
I could have done that. I mean, even the greats mess up sometimes, you know? Maybe this is one of those moments for Jesus. He, you know, had an off day, wasn't firing on all cylinders, and messed up a miracle, took him two tries. What's going, I mean, okay, it shouldn't be a big surprise to know that, no, I don't think that Jesus messed up the miracle here. Uh, something else is going on. Jesus didn't make a mistake. And when we attend to the text in Mark chapter 8, what we find is that actually what's happening is pretty cool. And so we're going to look at it. And the first thing we need to realize to understand what's happening here is that the Gospels are actually really magnificent pieces of literature. And any great piece of literature, does, does some, they all have something in common. It's this. They expect the reader to work a little bit. They're not going to lay everything out for you they invite you to participate in the process of reading. They ask you to do a little bit of work, maybe connect some of the dots on your own. Uh, any, any good movie usually does this as well. I mean, you don't always get the Star Wars rolling, you know, explanation of everything that's come first. Sometimes they just, they just, you just dive in and you're like, okay, what's going on? You got to orient yourself. That's part of what we like in a good movie sometimes is that it expects us to do a little bit of work as well. Well, that's what Mark is doing too. And so what we find, in order to find what's going on is that we got to realize Mark is using actually two different stories that appear unrelated to each other, and he's using each one to clarify the other, which is actually pretty brilliant. And I'm excited to show you how it works. So in order to see it, we got to look at the very next story that happens after this healing of the blind man. Immediately after it happens, Jesus and his disciples go take a walk. And while they're walking, Jesus asks his disciples yet another question. He says, it says, on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. So this is basically the Jewish hall of fame here. Uh, Jesus's reputation is pretty high. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, like that's not a bad cast of characters to be part of. And then Jesus turns the question on his followers and he says, what about you guys? Who do you think I am? What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, he says. Now, Peter nails it. I'm pretty sure he's the first person in the gospel of Mark to call Jesus the Messiah. Maybe other than like the narrator, but Peter says, you are the Messiah. He nails it. He gets it right. But unfortunately, the feeling doesn't last because Jesus' tone right after this suddenly changes. And Jesus starts saying these really weird things, talking about how he is going to have to be rejected, he's going to suffer, and he's going to be killed. It says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, the text says that at this point, Peter takes Jesus aside and he starts to rebuke Jesus. That word rebuke is a strong word. That's what Jesus does to demons. Jesus rebukes demons. And now Peter's rebuking Jesus. So this isn't just kind of a light correction. I think they're in a shouting match. I think that's what's going on. I think they're in each other's faces a little bit. Peter's mad at Jesus. What are you, what are you saying, Jesus? How, how could you say these things? What is, this is what is going on. 
Peter clearly doesn't like the language of being rejected, being killed. That's not the Messiah that Peter signed up for. Now, of course, Jesus did say, and in three days rise again, they never seem to hear that part. <laughs> and even after Jesus rise, rose again, they, they don't even remember that part. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's lost on them. Can't really blame them. I'm like, who's going to believe that, right? But all that stuff about being suffering and being killed and all that, Peter's not into that. That's not what he signed up for. Not that kind of Messiah. Now, Messiah simply means anointed one. And the prophets for centuries had been predicting that God would raise up a leader, somebody who would lead his people to freedom from their oppressors and restore them to their land as the rightful owners and inheritors of their land. And so that's what they were looking for in Jesus. Peter, when he hears Messiah, he thinks victory. He thinks conquest. Doesn't think rejection and death. That's not what he's thinking. At least not before the revolution begins, right? All of this goes down the drain if Jesus dies. And so Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus isn't going to stand for that, of course. He says, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples... He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, I can almost imagine in this moment calling the crowd and Jesus is like, okay, guys, that's it. Everybody, come on, huddle up. I got to clear something up here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel We'll save it. So notice the roller coaster that Peter's on. In one moment, he's riding high, right? He's, you are the Messiah. First one, nails it. Awesome. Good job, Peter. And then literally three minutes later, he's getting called Satan. This is quite an emotional roller coaster for him. But now we're ready to see the connection between this moment and the blind man. Mark is using the story of the blind man as like a commentary on the sight of the disciples. Not their physical sight, but their spiritual sight. Because just like the blind man couldn't see clearly at first, neither can Peter. And it turns out that the blind one in the story isn't the blind man, it's Peter and by extension the other disciples. You see, Peter thinks that the way of Jesus is conquest, it's victory, it's winning. And so when Jesus starts to talk about suffering, being rejected, being killed, Peter can't take it because he can't see clearly. He still sees people, they look like trees walking around. Peter thinks that the way of Jesus is about conquest. That's, that's not it. So Jesus has to lay it out for them. He calls them all together. Look, it appears you aren't really getting this yet, so let me just say it clearly. My way is the way of the cross. If you want to follow me, you got to lose your life. You got to crucify yourself. That's what this is. That's what you're signing up for, Peter, or Jesus is saying. That's what it is to clearly see the way of Jesus. And so there's this sense where the, I mean, the blind man, okay, he couldn't see anything. And now he can see, well, it looks like trees walking around, which I don't know how he knows what trees look like. It's just these things that we'll, we'll always wonder. 
He looks like, he sees people, they look like trees walking around. So on the one hand, like, hey, that's pretty impressive. Like, you couldn't see anything, and now you can see that. Like, well, cool. He'd come quite a long ways when you think about it, but at the same time, he was nowhere close. And the same goes for Peter. I mean, Peter names the Messiah. Wow, nobody else done that. Peter, you've come quite a ways. Oh, but you're still so far. And it should be a little bit of a warning to us that Peter had been following Jesus for a while at this point. Mark chapter 8 is halfway through the book. There are 16 chapters. He'd been with Jesus for a while. You'd think he would have gotten the message by now, but it, it turns out he's still blind. He, st- he still can't see it clearly yet. Many of us have been in church for a long time and we know our way around the Christian scene. We know the language. We know the rituals. We know the expectations. We know what to do in order to pass the eye test. We should stop and ask ourselves, do I really see? Do I really understand what it is that Jesus is calling me into here? Just what it is that Jesus is actually asking of us who say that we follow him. Listen, until our lives look like the cross, we haven't really understood Jesus. And here's the truth. Once people fully understood just what it was that Jesus was calling them into, there were plenty of people who realized it was not for them. There's one particular rich young man. Jesus says, sell everything you got. Follow me. He's like, "Mm, nah. John chapter 6, Jesus starts saying similar kinds of stuff. And it says, lots of people said, this is a hard teaching, Jesus. Sorry, I'm, I'm out. They, they, they fully grasped the weight, the cost. And they weighed it and decided, no, thank you. There's a guy that comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. And he comes to him and he literally says, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. Wow, like a Jesus follower served up on a silver platter, you know? Like that's the stuff preachers dream about. If one of you guys came to me after church today, and you're like, Phil, I've been just, I've been praying, and I think I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I'd be like, okay, you know, let's do it, let's go. I'd be like, we're going to pray together, we're going to get you in a table group, we're going to get you in a disciple, with a discipler, you know, like, we're going to do all these things. I don't want to discourage you from doing that today, by the way. I'm just going to tell you. When this guy comes to Jesus, you know what Jesus does? He does discourage him. He does discourage him. You know, here's what Jesus says. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What he's saying here is like, bro, the woodland creatures have it better than me. You're sure you want in on this? And then he does it again right away after that. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That's harsh. I mean, what does it mean to bury my father? It could mean a lot of things. It could mean his father's not actually dead yet. It could be years before he actually can follow Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, look, man, it's all or nothing with me. (laughs) I'm not, you don't pencil me in your schedule That's not how this works. Sorry. Listen, all this leads us to kind of a a rather simple 
but forgotten truth. And it's that Christianity is supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. Now, I, I know all the verses. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and stuff. Yes. There are so many paradoxes in this life of faith. This is one of them. That somehow we can carry a cross and crucify ourselves and yet that's an easy yoke. It is true, but a mystery. And so let's just think about, let's just remember, call to mind and attend to the fact for a moment that Christianity is supposed to be hard. There isn't anything easy about taking up a cross. And sometimes we forget this because following Jesus is countercultural. Jesus says, my kingdom in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. What that means is that if you purport to be a citizen of Jesus's kingdom, you're going to feel a little out of place in other kingdoms because his kingdom's not one of this world. It's not made of the same stuff that the empires and kingdoms of this world is made out of. In fact, it, it often runs the opposite of the vision of the kingdoms of this world. Now, I, I don't think that churches have done a very good job of discipling people into the difficulty of Christianity. And by the way, this is not the reason why it's so hot in this room today. And not just, I'm just not trying to make it hot, hard in that way, because it's hot in here. That wasn't our doing. But I'm telling you, we haven't done a very good job of discipling people into the difficulty of Christianity. On the one hand, I mean, we got, you got a multi-million dollar mega church industry that doesn't always look like it's fashioned after the way of a crucified peasant, does it? doesn't always reflect that. More often it's like, hey, five gospel truths to financial freedom, you know? Like, that's what, we're, well, that's what we often are, are doing. And I'm not saying there's no room for that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, let's not forget the fact that fundamentally, at the heart of it all, like, we're called to crucify ourselves, carry a cross. And so we haven't done a very good job of remembering the fact that Christianity is hard. Of course, you got some people who they do remember that, and they... Uh, Boy, they take it to the extreme. In fact, their idea of carrying a cross is, well, that means I got to be against everybody and everyone who isn't exactly the way I am, who doesn't have exactly my doctrine. And if they don't, if they do anything I don't like, that means I got to, you know, I got to cancel, I got to go, I got to boycott, I got to do whatever. Some people, that's their idea of what it means to, to carry a cross. That's not what the Bible's talking about. That's not what it means. To carry a cross means that we are called to love others as we love ourselves. Taking the cross means we crucify ourselves so that we are free to love God and others more. That's what it is. And what we learn, listen, we learn that true life and freedom and peace and joy comes only through that, what Jesus calls a narrow road. That's the secret of the gospel. It might be hard, but it also leads to the life you truly want. Matthew 7, 14, Jesus says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And this is the thing we often forget. The way of Jesus is hard, but it is the only way to life. And some of us perhaps have not weighed that cost. The cost of following Jesus. We're just kind of following a script that we were handed. 
We see, but we don't see clearly. People still look like trees walking around, in the words of our blind friend from earlier. And quite honestly, there have been some people who I think have weighed the cost. They have seen it, and they've thought to themselves, you know what? That's just not for me. That's, that's, that's too much. I'm, no thank you. And so they choose not to be a part of God's mission or the part of the community. They've weighed it. They've said, no thank you. I've got other things I'd rather focus on. And I'll be honest, I respect the honesty and the consistency. The truth is that while I do want all people to understand the way of Jesus really is the way of life, I don't have a desire to convince people that it's easier than it is. I think we've probably got too much of that happening in the church. Listen, I'm gonna, we've got a, a vision series coming up, and I'm going to talk more about this in that series, but there's some phrases that have been rattling around in my, in my heart lately about like what kind of people do we want to form here at Table Church? And three Three things is this. I would say our, our aim is to create spirit-filled, countercultural, mission-focused disciples. We want to create spirit-filled, countercultural, mission-focused disciples. That's, that's our aim here by the grace of God. And um, we have actually a lot of those people in this room right now at Table Church. A lot of people right now here in this room that I, I think are doing that. And I mean, really, I'm not the judge. It's really you and God, right? But there's a lot of them. And there's no one way to do that either, by the way. Part of it is, part of being mission-focused is understanding what specific unique voice in the kingdom do you have? What is it that God is calling you specifically to and what in yours might not look like the person next to you? But I I want to share a little bit about one of those disciples that we have here. You may know her. Her name is Taryn Obink. Okay, found her. Good. I told her I was going to do this. I just want to share a little bit about Taryn's story because I have had the privilege of being a, like a spectator as Taryn has said one yes after another to the Lord and just kind of seen the shape of her life completely change over the years. Now, Taryn and I go way back, although we didn't know each other very well when we lived in Sioux Falls. We, she went to the same church that I worked at in Sioux Falls. And uh, I mean, we probably bumped elbows a few times, but we didn't know each other that well. But I'll tell you what, she said yes to God one day when, when um, she said yes to going on a missions trip to Mexico. And on that trip, God really got a hold of her heart and gave her a heart for na- the nations and a heart for cultures. And she, she got baptized on that trip. And you know, sometimes what happens on trips like that is you kind of have this like spiritual high, and then it kind of fizzles out after you get home. That didn't happen with Taryn. Like the, the fundamental course of her life drastically changed in that moment because she said a couple yeses to God. And then she started being discipled by Pastor Megan. And then along came this idea to plant table church. And Pastor Megan asks her, what would you think about moving to a city you've never been to and uh, quitting your job and helping us plant a new church? And she prayed about it. And once again, she said yes to God. And not only that, she said yes to being a leader at Table Church. She's, at first, she led the hospitality team. Uh, now she leads our international missions trips. She also oversees our Edmonds School partnerships. She's one of our missions directors here at Table Church. 
Um, and she just recently came on staff part-time as our admin, like just one thing after another. And recently she said yes to taking this huge step of faith and starting Immigrant Connection. Now, Immigrant Connection, for those of you that don't know, it's, it's something we're starting here. It's where the Department of Justice actually can accredit nonprofits like us, can accredit uh, people who go through an extensive and rigorous training process to become licensed and accredited legal representatives for immigrants and refugees. So Taryn has gone through this whole process of being trained in immigrant law, which is something she doesn't know anything about before, and is not the simplest area of law, by the way, so that she can help people. You see how God's bringing something that happened years ago, and he gave her this heart for the nation. He's bringing it back now. Hey, I want you to serve me in this way in your context. And it would never have happened if it wasn't for all of these intervening yeses that she has said in the meantime. It's been amazing to watch. And by the way, it's not over yet. When she said yes to Immigrant Connection, like, we still don't exactly know how this is going to work. It's probably going to result in a pay cut for Taryn, one way or another. I hope not, but it might. Um, it's definitely something we haven't completely figured out yet, but we're trusting that the Lord is going to take care of it as he has already. She's already cut down hours at work in order to do more ministry. And so again, there's no one way to do it. That's just one way that we've seen do it. And I guess the only thing I want to ask you, Taryn, is, is it worth it? Yeah, 100%. Good. I'm glad you said that. It's worth it. The way of Jesus is hard, but it is the only way to life. And listen, my hope for you today, my whole point of sharing that story is not just to mess with Taryn. I mean, that's part of it, but not just... <laughs> My hope is that you don't settle for a counterfeit form of the Jesus life. That you don't settle for a counterfeit form of the Jesus life. There's all sorts of versions of it that only see halfway. And it's so easy to get sucked into them. And look, none of us are perfect. None of us have it. Taryn doesn't have it 100%. There's always growth to be done. There's always more yeses to be said. There's always more things, ways that God can purge sin from our lives and all that stuff. 100% none of us are ever finished. But there's all sorts of ways that we can just buy into phony, counterfeit forms of the Jesus life. One of those phony ones would be like the individualist version of the Jesus way. It says, look, I can follow Jesus just fine by myself. I don't need nobody else. I don't need the community called the church. But you know what? The church is supposed to be a cross-bearing factory. You can't bear your cross if you're not part of the church. Because of the whole point is that yes, we're annoying. Yes, we are. We do things we shouldn't do. We say things we shouldn't do. We're, a, we're a, an abysmal embarrassment to the Lord sometimes. And guess what? Part of that is the point. Part of that is where we get to learn how to love, how to forgive, how to grow. There's the health and wealth version of following Jesus. That excludes all suffering from following Jesus. Look, there's all sorts of counterfeit versions of it. None of them lead to life. So do not settle for a faith that says, look, I can just throw in a little bit of Jesus in there with everything else I want in life. That's kind of what Peter did, you know? He was kind of like retrofitting Jesus to fit his idea of what a Messiah needed to be. Don't settle for only seeing trees walking around. Now, Mark chapter 8 is not Peter's best moment. You know, he gets called Satan by 
the second person of the Trinity. That's not a good feeling. Um, he had a lot of bad moments. And sadly for him, they were immortalized in the Bible. I'm sure he was more than compensated in heaven. I mean, you know, he, here's the thing about Peter, though. He eventually got it. You know that? For all of his ups and downs, Peter eventually got it. One day, many years later, as an old man, Peter would write a letter, and look what he says. This is based on a lifetime of following Jesus. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Now, you think that's just a religious platitude coming from old man Peter? I don't think so. I think Peter knew what that meant and knew what it felt like. He knew what it was like to suffer for what is right and to know what it was like to be blessed. Even if you suffer, you are blessed. Welcome to the paradox that is following Jesus. But once you see it, you see clearly. And so my only question for you today is what yes do you need to say to God today? What yes do you need to say to him in order to take one more step towards seeing him clearly? Maybe you need to let Jesus put his hands on your eyes again. Maybe you're realizing, look, I've had one idea of what this is. It's actually this. I haven't been seeing clearly. Jesus, I need you to help me see. Maybe the yes you need to say today is simply to following Jesus. Maybe you have never made that commitment. Maybe you thought you did. You're realizing you really didn't. Maybe that's the yes that you need to say today. If that's the case, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want you to say yes, not to some counterfeit version of following Jesus, but to the real thing. And so if that's you, here's what you need to do. You need to, on your connection card, let us know. The simple way to do that is to circle the cross on the connection card. And that's how we know that you say yes to God today. If you have another yes, so you're following Jesus, but you're like, no, it's time for me to take another step. One, one good idea is to tell us and so that we can maybe kind of help you in it, pray for you, support you. You can write that on your connection card. I'm saying yes to God today by blank. Let us know so that we can pray for you, lift you up, follow up with you if need be, whatever it looks like. But if that's you, then I want to invite you to do that. Finally, we're going we're gonna to take communion today um, because I'm not sure what is a better reminder of the fact that we serve and follow a crucified Savior who calls us to take up our crosses as well than coming and beholding the body and the blood of Jesus himself. So as you come, um, we're, we're going to play a song. It's all gluten-free, by the way, if that's something that is important to you. It is important to me. Um, we're going to play a song, and I'm going to invite you to come as we sing this next song at whatever point you feel ready. But I want you to know that the church has been doing this for 2,000 years. Paul writes about this. Like even before the Bible ends, they're doing this. It's really cool. Today, millions of Christians in all different parts of the world, from all different cultures and socioeconomic levels and different languages are doing this. This brings us together. This joins us together with so many different people. It's beautiful. And the reason why we take this so seriously it's because we believe that God's actually somehow manifests in it. That when we come with our hearts open before God, that he meets us there. We don't understand why or how, but we just, it, it's, it, it's true. And so come to the table of the Lord today, ready to meet with him. With your heart laid bare before him, saying, Lord, if there's any unrighteous way in me, please show me. And he will. Let's pray. Lord God. 
take hold of that cross and we hoist it upon our shoulders and we say with you for the sake of the world we crucify ourselves help us to take that step today Lord transform us and change us through this sacrament right now Lord Holy Spirit, even though we may not understand it, we may not always feel it, help us to trust in faith that you are here, that you're working in our lives. We surrender wholly to you now, God. Forgive us for any sin, Lord, that remains unrepentant of, and lead us into the way of truth. In your holy and righteous name we pray.